Hello world. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka, the show where I shine a light on incredible producers from all corners of our industry and dig into the messy parts of their journey. They're Kaka. However you found the show, I am so glad you were here. Y'all keep tuning in week after week, and I don't take it for granted. Thanks for doing this life thing with me. And hey, if you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and give it five stars. Your support helps grow the show and reach even more peeps. This week, I sat down with Ross Gerard, the executive vice president of production at Campfire, a film and TV production company. He oversees physical production for a slate of premium scripted and nonfiction projects. His producing experience is massive. It spans music videos, commercials, scripted and nonfiction features and series, and he's had premieres at both Sundance and Tribeca. He also recently produced the Emmy-nominated Netflix original series Special, which is now shooting its second season. And he's currently producing a variety of projects with Campfire for Warner Brothers, Netflix, FX, CNN, HBO. Yes, they are busy over there. (laughs) What makes this week's episode extra special, pun intended, (laughs) is that I got to work with Ross on the documentary I produced last year for Campfire called Hysterical. It's a feature-length doc that looks at the lives of women in stand-up comedy. I'm so freaking excited, and whenever this is out in the world, trust you will know about it. It's a rare opportunity to interview someone who was technically my boss and discuss the most successful way to navigate that dynamic from both sides of the aisle. We dig into transitions, particularly the challenge of going from commercials to film, the responsibility of producers to intentionally hire diversely, and what it's actually like to be a head of production. So without further ado, let's dig in and hear from Ross. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the show again. It's awesome to get to. Good morning. I know. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you may be listening to this, I'm really excited to talk to you because we we recorded this episode with you over a year ago. I want to say, and we decided to re-record. And I think it's for the better because since that time, we've actually had the opportunity to work together, and it's really cool when I get to have guests on the show that I've actually like collaborated with. It just kind of brings a je ne sais quoi to all of it that I really love. So Also, the world has completely changed since we last talked. Oh, yeah. The world is also changing (laughs) in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, I forgot about that. (laughs) But um, but take take me to the beginning. Tell tell me and, and my listeners a little bit about you and how you found yourself in producing. Let's see. Uh, I was born in California, and then um, I moved to England, and then I moved to Connecticut, and then I moved here. Um, I think you know I've always had a love for movies, like so many other producers. I've, I've you know I grew up watching movies. I um, you know it was just some of the best times with my family um, watching movies. We actually watched movies and TV over dinner. We were really naughty. Um, <laughs> I liked it though, because it, it it allowed me to watch a lot of content growing up. Um, and it was kind of our family bonded together by watching films and TV. Um, but, but going back actually to when I was um, a kid, my grandpa was actually a movie producer in the 1940s. Oh, um, For those on video, you can kind of see right here, some uh, two of his lobby cards, two of his movies. Um, but he produced um, 
uh, three movies with John Garfield, who was his business partner and also acted in the movies and started them. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I remembered hearing his stories growing up when I was just a little kid. He unfortunately passed away uh, when I was quite young, mm-hmm. but I still was very inspired by it because I love movies so much. And then to get to hear my grandpa talk about it was obviously exciting. Um, but um, one of his movies, Body and Soul, um, actually won an Oscar for Best Editing in 1948. Wow. I believe that was the year. And uh, anyway, I found that really inspiring. And I remember being a kid saying, you know, I'm going to win an Oscar someday and say, this is for you, Grandpa. Um, Haven't gotten there quite yet, but hopefully someday. You're on your way. You're on your way. I I hope so. But yeah, so, you know, growing up, I sort of had that inspiration. He actually had a pretty powerful story because he was ended up um, being part of the whole blacklisting Mm. situation. He was really good friends with Elton Trumbo and was sort of in the mix when Mm -hmm. things went south and ended up leaving and moving to England which is where my mom was born. And I kind of left the movie business after that. Wow. Still inspiring nonetheless. So, you know, I went to film school at uh, Emerson College. I actually studied TV and video production. So I, at the time, I thought I wanted to do news. And so I was in the control room. I was doing technical directing, teleprompter, floor directing, all that stuff in the (laughs) studio. I was a big tech geek wizard in college. So I really loved the equipment and um, I love the technical aspects. Um, but I, I always really wanted to do film also. And I kind of fell into it um, at the end of college working on some projects. And then I moved to LA. I finished school there and uh, at Emerson College in their LA program. And then I started interning at Partisan, which is where I really got my first start in the industry. Um, That's Michelle Gondry's production company. They have offices around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Their LA office was just such an inspiring, creative place to be with um, incredible directors. And we were just out there making things. And as an intern, I got to be on set. You know, my first week I was was on a big film shoot, like a six-day Adidas commercial. And I got to go on the Warner Brothers lot. And it was just really exciting. Mm And you just got to remember those feelings. Like to anyone who's starting in the industry, before it gets frustrating and hard, you have to hold on to that excitement. Because that excitement, it's hard to get it back. And it's just such a great feeling. So I remember that, you know, um, as an intern taking the film to to get process back when we, we were only shooting on film and it was it was really exciting. So you had sort of been seeped in journalism. Yeah. How did you decide to make that pivot into you were like, oh, this isn't really where I want to be. I think I want to be in the film making space. Uh, Emerson College at the time had a program with Kevin Bright, who's one of the creators of Friends, the TV show. Mm-hmm. He was an Emerson alum. He came back to Boston and did a program with the students where actually three of my four classes for a whole semester were creating a half hour TV pilot under sort of his supervision. And um, I was the lead editor on that. And I also was the location manager. And that's because it's college. Um, (laughs) So here I am, the location manager and also the editor, Um, uh, one one of the editors. We had we had a few. So it, it was it was a really great experience being kind of on the creative side, but also the logistical side. And I, I sort of realized I've always been a, a logistical person, you know, just really enjoyed being the location manager at the time. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that job now. But <laughs> no. at the time, it was just amazing. You know, I, I went into City Hall and sat down with the film office and got the permit sorted and made maps and figured out where the park trucks were going to park, which was a, a real challenge um, in, in a city like Boston. And um, I really loved the logistics of it. And I people started calling on me to help them with their projects. And so I did a couple short films in college as the location manager because they were like, oh, Ross can be a location manager. So I took on that role um, and I kind of segued out of editing. For a while, I wanted to be an editor and I really enjoyed it. And I 
sort of got out there in the field and I just came alive on set and I realized how much I loved, I, I liked working in the studio, but being out in the field, talking to people, I'm a very social person. So yeah, I could not imagine you as an editor at all. Yeah. <laughs> in a dark it's room. So not your vibe. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I just loved talking to people and I was talking to cafe owners and, you know, store owners and whatnot, and just yeah. trying to negotiate deals and make it happen. And I, I realized I had a really strong interest for it and I, I kind of came alive doing it. So from that moment, I just said to myself, I got to get on more sets. Mm -hmm. Like when I get to LA, I want to be on set. I thought I wanted to just go straight into film and TV. So I looked at internships at big studios and big production companies. And I took those interviews and realized, okay, if I take this job, I'm going to be doing script coverage in a room by myself. And that's all I'm really going to get to do. I really want to be on set. So I found this opportunity at Partis and I realized commercials and music videos, that's how you get on set. Mm -hmm. And of course, I've loved music videos growing up and commercials are always really creative. Um, not always, but some can be really creative and, and fun and, and, and interesting, especially at a company like Partis. Their work is really inventive and creative. And so I saw their work and I was like, you know, this is where I want to be. And like I said before, it was such a creative environment um, for me at the time and just sort of. I soaked it all in. You know, yeah. if you were a production manager filing stuff, I'd come up to you and say, hey, what are you doing? What's that for? Why are you doing that? Oh, okay. Um, how do things get paid for? What, what does accounting do? You know, like I really just wanted to, to learn it all. Mm -hmm. And a big tip for you also, become friends with accounting because they process every dollar of every project yeah. and they work really hard and you need to know accounting first and foremost <laughs> uh, to be a producer. Yeah, that is great advice. <laughs> That's sort of how I found my way into it. And so then from Partisan, you know, there's, this, there's always this conversation of like, you get in, you get your foot in the door, and maybe it's not like the door, the exact room you want to be in, right? But it's a it's a step or an avenue to get there. And you sort of knew you didn't want to be stuck doing commercials and, and music videos for as, as incredible as they were and the experiences that you were able to get. Like, how were you able to transition and make that pivot into stepping away from that into more of the space that you're in now? Well, I think it is really hard um, and you have to be intentional. And I think um, what's challenging about this industry, especially if you're freelance, as I'm sure you know, is that you need to work first and foremost, right? And so you you end up following the work. And I think when you find yourself in a community, if that community is a commercial community, that's the work that's going to... Um, come come out you know you have to be intentional about making the choice to step away and do something different mm -hmm. because the the easier path is to stay with what you know yeah. um so for me you know my first producing job professionally was producing a music video for block party with hiro Murai, who's an incredible director and i i knew from the moment i started working with him he's just so creative and talented and he you know he could do visual effects and animation and drawing and directing and editing and you know kind of do everything and i was so inspired by that and that was kind of how i saw myself as a producer which is sort of like you know i was doing craft service and then i was driving a truck and then i was you know <laughs> doing purchase orders and um i also was a production manager on a music video with david gelb who i later came to work with at his company and um, co-produced this movie there's a poster right behind me for a faster horse. You know, so I think, I guess what I mean by this is like, it's important to stick with people that you like working with. It's important to stick with people that you get along with and, and do good work together. So I think, you know, from the work I was doing early on producing, that led me to more opportunities. And those opportunities led me to meet people, led to connections. And I sort of, you know, started to create that spider web of, um, 
you know, building my my network into the industry. And that's that's ultimately how I found the opportunities outside of commercials and music videos was through the people I had met doing commercials and music videos. Yeah. So I got an opportunity. I had been producing at Partisan for about four years at the time. Um, and I had gone from, you know, a $2,000 music video to a $200,000 music video over that period. And I felt like I was having some really great growth. I was getting incredible experience. Um, and I got this opportunity to work at David Gelb's production company, um, called City Room Creative at the time. It was a successful trailer house. Um, they wanted to open a production division and I had worked with the co-founders, um, on other projects. Uh, in the music video space. And um, it was through that connection that they brought me in under their wing and, and said, you know, we want to bring Ross in as a producer. Mm-hmm. They they had partnered with Kevin Iwashina and Ross Timmerson, who's my current boss, uh, as well as Matt Weaver, um, who were all partners in that company. And they had all this wealth of experience in film and TV um, that was so exciting to me to sort of just learn from them and be around them and, and kind of get to know more about that that part of it. Yeah. The other thing I had done is while I was at Partisan, I got an opportunity to co-produce a film called California Solo, which is the other poster behind me here. <laughs> yeah, like a little, little dodger. I was actually producing a music video for The Strokes in New York. My roommate and best friend from college knew a producer, Manette Louie, mm, who's an incredible yeah. independent film producer. Yeah. And, and he had PA'd for her. So this is why it's always good to be nice to people and build your connections. Always. You don't want to burn bridges yeah. because, you know, he had PA'd for her. She sent out a big email blast to everybody she knew saying, hey, I'm going to produce this movie in L.A. I don't know people in L.A. I need connections in L.A. My best friend Sal um, wrote her and said, you should meet with my buddy Ross. He's been producing for the past few years in L.A. He knows the low-budget world really well. He wants to work in film. Give him a call. So I met up with her when I was in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hit it off. I met with the director, Marshall, Marshall Louie, uh, out here in LA when I got back and um, came on board as the co-producer. So um, I ended up taking sort of leave of absence for part, from Partisan for a few months to go produce that movie. And then I stayed on, you know, through post and, and through the festival run. That's awesome. They were able to work that out with you. That's really cool. It was really wonderful. And I have to say, like, my bosses at Partisan were so supportive and mm. they really became mentors for me in terms of like supporting my ambitions and they also knew like you know I was working my butt off and I was young and and excited and I was just willing to put in the work so it was kind of a situation where I made myself very dependable um but yeah so I got my taste of my first feature film from California Solo then I came back to Partisan and that's when I realized like okay I really want to do more films like mm. that film we went we went to Sundance in 2012 with it it was really just such a going to Sundance that first time it's like oh man and that that was yeah. a magical time for Sundance too like yeah. there was something really special about actually getting a film into the festivals back then yes yeah. i yes and i remember being there and thinking i need to come back here next year with another film i haven't been back with a film since but i will someday yeah. but yeah so you know going to city room creative i i um really got more of a uh, an entry you know further into the long form space i ended up producing a documentary feature about the ford mustang called a faster horse where i where i met white horse pictures and they do great documentary features mm-hmm. and um sort of learned more about the documentary world um and after that i ended up going back into commercials i got offered a staff job as head of production for a company called joinery um which um was in a relatively new company 
um, founded by some very experienced um, commercial uh, director and producers. That's when we met, actually. Yeah, yeah, we did meet there. Yes, I remember because it was it was literally down the street from my house, yes. and I was so excited because most commercial companies at the yeah. time were in Santa Monica. Yes, you were right in Hollywood. I yes. walk out my door, and you were right there. It was amazing. That office was great. Yeah, we never got to work together at that time at that we office, didn't. though. Then. But we actually first met through Brandon uh, Driscoll Luckbringer um, when I was at City Room Creative. Yeah. Well, because of Dear Dreams of Sushi, which I'd love for yeah. you to touch on, because that yeah. era of my life was so instrumental. Because it's when I was putting together Autism in Love, and I had no mm. idea how to make a documentary. And actually, a friend of mine was Brandon's roommate, and she was like, "Well, my roommate edited this doc, Jared Dreams of Sushi," and I was like, "What? I'd love to talk to him and like learn." from him so I can, yeah. you know, put this thing together. And it's just so funny. Like, I always love the little, cr you know, the, the way that the dots yes. connect. It just yes. always gives me so much joy. Well, what's hard, what's hard is you can't look forward and see those dots, but you can look backwards and see them. Yes. And so it's like, if you are putting the work in and not expecting things to be handed to you, then you'll start building those connections because people will recognize yeah. that. And then you can look back and see those great dots. Exactly. But I think it's important too that, you know, we finally got our chance to work together last year, right? But like we met how long ago and how many yes. years did we circle each other and how many missed opportunities there were for all these reasons. And so I think it's important to note that yeah. throughout all of that, we, we obviously had always had pleasant conversations and good interactions and were always kind to each other and helped each other. Sure. There was never this like, well, we couldn't work together on this job screw that guy like there was never anything like that the way that our paths intersect in the business is just so it just so serendipitous like honestly there's no rhyme or reason to when things intersect and that's why no matter who you meet and what role they play in that moment i think it's important to your point to to really just be a good person do good work be true to your word and be dependable like you said i think just to echo all of that um yeah. is so so true and i i speak from 100% experience of my own journey and how it's unfolded you know so it's really cool absolutely but so talk a little bit about giro because that was such a game changer of a doc i think really took things to the next level so i did not personally work on giro okay i knew david gelb because i had worked on a music video with him my first job out of college, actually going back, my, my first job was being hired by a producer named Charles Spano, who's a wonderful man. Um, he hired me to be his PA on a music video that David Gelb was directing. And um, it was one of those things where I started as a PA. And by the time that the job was done, I was the production manager, you know, <laughs> was uh, dealing with the crew and like all this stuff I had not really done before, but I had been around it enough that I knew kind of what to do. And also when you're young, you just have this blind confidence, yes. <laughs> which is another thing to try to hold on to as you get older and realize things are a lot harder than you thought. Um, yeah. But that blind confidence, I was like, okay, I got it. I got this, I got that, we're, we're doing it. And I remember when I did the call sheet and I turned to him, I said, what should I put myself down as? And he was like, <laughs> oh, put yourself down as a production manager. And I was like, oh, I'm the production manager? Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, so um, I ended up working with him for a while on a number of projects. And we sort of became this great team. We were, we were very good yin and yang. He was very much an artist. And I was very much a logistical rule follower. And we kind of balanced each other uh, really well. Mm -hmm. David actually went on to go direct and produce Jordan's Sushi. And I remember because I was working with um, his editor, Brandon, and I also had rented his red camera that he was using. And I remember calling him up or emailing him and saying, you know, can I rent your red camera? And I found out that he was in Japan doing this stock. And I was like, oh, now I need to find another red camera. Um, 
and uh, and then he came back and and made this incredible film, and I, I was so proud of him and Brandon um, for for all the work they did. But Ross Dinnerstein was an, was an executive producer on that film, who's my current boss at Campfire, and then Kevin Iwashina was a uh, producer on the film, and I kind of ended up in that circle in that family of people that had worked on that film. Yeah, and it, it was such an inspiring documentary of course as you know and i think it really was a game changer for documentary it sort of created this elevated genre mm-hmm. of beautiful cinematography and um incredible storytelling and and i and i think um the sort of takeaway and learnings from the work ethic of Jiro is also something that inspired a lot of people and a lot of companies yeah. so then city room creative where do you go next after that that's when you went to yeah, so I produced, um, co-produced this film, A Faster Horse, about the Ford Mustang. It's it's on Netflix. Check it out. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was a great experience. It was a, it was a big film. It was a two-year project. And coming out of that, I realized I, I wanted to figure out kind of what the next thing would be. And, um, you know, we sort of decided to wind down production at City Room and focus on creative editorial there. And I realized I wanted to get back out and, and figure out what my next move would be. Uh, David was going on creating Chef's Table and incredible um, projects and everybody was kind of doing their thing. So I um, ended up meeting um, with Joinery and feeling like it was such a great fit to kind of try another thing, which would be to be ahead of production, take my production experience, having done commercials, music videos, documentary, branded content, all this variety of work, and then take that to this new commercial company where I could, it was just three of us at the time. Mm. We sort of built a, a great, slate there of work and um yeah so i i i kind of just wanted to try the next challenge but i i think what happens is there's 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 always a kind of grass is always greener thing in this industry where people that do film and tv want to do commercials people that do commercials want to do film and tv yeah. <laughs> um and i think i think ultimately the goal is you want to do a bit of everything yes. um you know variety keeps us fresh and keeps us engaged and excited um there's also obviously a certain a certain lucrative as- uh, uh, aspect to commercials which is dwindling now you know budgets are obviously smaller than yeah. they were at one point um but commercials generally pay very well for a short period of time so it's a short commitment you know features and especially documentaries, as you know, can can last for years. You know, I'm working on several products now that have gone on over two years. Um, yeah. And I think I think also coming out of that two year film, um, A Faster Horse, I I kind of missed that. I was like, I want to do some more work that's just like quick and fast, um, get in, get out, uh, and and be proud of it and feel accomplished in what I was doing. And I was really inspired by being a part of this new company, which which I did a few times now because uh, City Room was a new company when I joined. Yeah. It. Joni was new when I joined it, um, and Campfire is re- relatively new when I joined it. So, kind of been my been my thing is working with um with budding budding companies. <laughs> That's your brand. You got a new company. Ross will come in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Helping them grow. But I think I found my home now. And I think that's the thing that's impressive about you is like we intersected when you were at Joinery. And I remember I was catching you on the tail end of like you had sort of done what you were there to do and you were ready for the next thing. Yeah. And you were like, I'm going to go find the next thing and I want the next thing to be in film and TV. And then I blinked and like you had found the next thing and you were doing the next thing. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. so awesome that it could have just been timing, whatever, you know, luck, but that you were able to be intentional about where you wanted to go and then find an opportunity that wasn't just any opportunity. It really seems like it was yeah. the right fit for you. I think sometimes people can despair and just go with whatever is available to your point 
point, like whatever is just kind of naturally there versus perhaps digging a little deeper and taking a little more time to find a place where if you are going in house, right, where you can kind of thrive and be really a part of this collective because a company is only as good as the people in it. Right. And so if you're not on that same wavelength with those people, it's not going to be a great, a great fit. And so, you know, having been at Campfire and having worked with a lot of those people, it's, it's really cool to see how, of course, of a natural fit you are within that team. And it's so awesome that I don't know how long it took to find that. I don't know the backstory, but from where I'm sitting, you know, it seems like it happened fairly quickly and seamlessly because obviously here you are. How many years later? It, it, it honestly did. And I'll give you the backstory. But yeah, I mean, ba- basically, I, I had been looking for that. And I ended up reconnecting with Ross Dinnerstein, who owns, owns Campfire and founded it. He, he had been a partner at City Room Creative. And so I met him through City Room Creative, actually produced a commercial for him. And we just got along so well. And, and you know, the Ross and Ross duo, yeah. it was it was a, it was a pretty great uh, to be able to be another <laughs> Ross. It doesn't happen every day. Yeah. And so we actually kind of both reached out to each other around the same time. He was actually looking for a new head of production because um, Sam Hausman had left um, to go work with Lynette Howell. Yes, Sam, who was just on the show. <laughs> yeah, who I loved her. loved her episode. Big fan. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. It was such like, I didn't even know that yeah. until I was look, reading her bio. And I was like, Ugh, our tiny town. Yeah. I love it. I love no, it's great. It's great. So he was looking for a new head of production and the company was growing. And um, we said, you know, let's let's try this out. Yeah. Can you define a little bit like what a head of production typically does? I know it varies, but what's like if you could describe your role? Sure. And then on another note, I'd love for you to just define what a producer means to you. I guess I'll start with head of production. So definitely depends on the company and how big the company is, because I think at smaller companies, I've only ever worked at smaller companies. I I do dream of what it must be like to work at a big company with lots of people that do all the things that I that I do. But what's small versus big? Like, or is there a middle size? I don't know. I guess it depends on the number of people. And you know, like you know, at, at Campfire right now, we have we have a pretty big team, but I still think it's a pretty small company. We have myself on the production side. We have myself as head of production. I have a in-house production supervisor. Uh, an in-house production manager and then an in-house producer. So we kind of, that's like my production team right now. Um, uh, Well, actually we have another production supervisor too. So I guess we sort of have three production supervisors and an in-house producer. Well, you guys have like 16 projects. So Yeah, we do, but they're kind of spread on different projects. So it sort of depends on what's going on at the time. But I think that, um, you know, at larger companies like a studio, you know, there's, there's a, you know, president of production, vice president of production, there's multiple production executives, there's estimators um, who work in the finance department, which I always think is interesting when you have an estimator who works in finance, who's not actually producing projects, mm. but they're doing, they're doing the budgets based on financial experience Very different. and actualizing experience, very yeah. different process from, from what we do. So, you know, at, at a smaller company, a head of production is either making the budgets themselves or overseeing the budgets being made. They are overseeing the legal aspects um, of physical production. Um, They're overseeing the financial aspects of production with an accountant, obviously, but still responsible for the overall um, uh, financial aspects of projects. They're really overseeing and, and have a hand in every physical aspect of the project. And they'll be the ones to oversee the line producers, you know, ensure that everything's happening on schedule and on budget. So essentially, um, actually, In a Faster Horse is a great, great quote from the um, chief engineer of, of the Mustang program, where he says, being the chief engineer is really hard because you're responsible for everything, 
but you're directly in control of almost nothing. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of like that being ahead of production. Like, yeah, ultimately I'm responsible for everything, but I'm not out on every shoot. I'm not out on everything. And I, and I don't control everything. You know? Yeah. It's important. Like when, so the context of how we worked is, you know, I was hired as a line producer right. for hysterical, which is this awesome doc. And so there's so much trust that when you are head of production that you have to put onto yes. the, the people that are sort of, running the day-to-day of these teams to do it hopefully the way you would do it, right? And the fact that you have come up doing that kind of work means you know what is required, you know what it takes. So even though you're not involved in the day-to-day, you're on the macro, but if something, you know, shit hits the fan and you need to roll up your sleeves, like you absolutely can and step in and support. But the idea is that you have so many different things that you can bring people on that you trust. And to your point earlier, it's like, there's a lot of responsibility, but it's a two, two-way two street, right? Like, if I do a good job, I make you look good, and you don't have to stress so much about this one project because you know I've got all of these things under control, and you can put some of that energy towards the 16, 15 other projects that you have. And it's a win-win versus, like, if I were to work, and I have worked with heads of productions who, who did not come up with that le- level of physical production experience, and they don't really have the support to offer. They're, they're more of, like, a, as a managerial role, but they don't have that support if shit gets crazy. Right. And it isn't as helpful for the line producer and vice versa, right? Like, if you're bringing someone on, who you can't really trust, who isn't dependable, all of this stuff. It just, it puts so much more stress on your plate. And so I find this dance very interesting and it's a cool dynamic to talk about because I don't think I've been able to really talk about that with anyone else on the show because I've never worked in that capacity with anyone else that's been on the show. They've always been a part of my team, but not like in theory, a boss or, you know, somebody who's sort of like overseeing the thing that I'm doing. Um, when I get to like wash my hands and walk away, but you are sort of left holding everything and making sure that hopefully it's all buttoned up and done the way that you would have liked it to be done, you know, for anyone listening, who's going to step into that relationship at some point in their career, I think it's important that they, they understand that. Well, I think you, you said it, um, before where, you know, you're only as strong as your team. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm here to provide support and guidance, um, and ultimately be be responsible for the production. But I'm also, you know, I need a team that I can trust. I need people that are going to go out there and fight the good fight. I'm going to be here to help back them and help support them in problems. But I can't be there every day at all instances. So you need that really strong team out there. And I think this is production, right? And I think anyone getting into production needs to understand that this is a problem-solving job. Like, that's what being in production is. I think (laughs) even if you're being a creative producer, there's solving problems on the creative side, too. There's solving story problems. You know, there's obviously going to be a lot of victories, a lot of wonderful things that happen, but there's going to be a lot of problems along the way. So if you are easily bothered by stress and problems and having to solve things, it's not (laughs) the right job for you. Get out now. now. Go do something else. Save yourself. (laughs) Um, because it, it is very hard and it, it is stressful. Um, and I, I've certainly had my moments of like total meltdown where it's just really, really hard. How do you get through those moments? Um, I just have to continue to have the confidence that I'm going to figure it out. I have to continue, um, believing that it's going to work out, um, because it does like, you know, the thing you have to know is that everything will always resolve in some way. It may not be the way you intended, um, but it's going to ultimately resolve. Um, and that's just the way life is, you know, so there's going to be some sort of outcome. And I think controlling that outcome to the best of your ability is important. I think also, um, you know, having the, uh, what's that quote, um, the strength to know what you can control 
and what you can't control. Oh um, yeah, and the wisdom to know the wisdom, the courage to know yeah, the difference. The difference that's, you know, that, we're butchering it, yeah, but yeah, yes, that's very badly said. But um, <laughs> it's something like that, and that that really that really is kind of a lot of what this job entails. You know, every day someone's calling me and saying, "This is what happened. What do I do?" You know, whether it's legal, financial, logistical, uh, equipment based. There's always something. Yeah, and I and I think it's because you know we're we're in a, we're in a field where there's so many moving pieces, there's so many parts, and that's also the beauty of it. You're having to put all this together. It's a great big complicated puzzle, and um, I think that's actually what I enjoy the most about it. But that is the hardest aspect of it too. It's like the double edged sword, right? Yeah. How do you manage the stress of it? How do you practice self care to sort of fill your own well so that you can show up? in your professional life and be such a support system for all of these people who need you to help them problem solve all the time. It's a tremendous responsibility and you do it very well. So Thank you. how do you find, how do you do that? Well, uh, I'm still working on the self-care part. Um, that's a journey. Yeah. And uh, y- you've definitely taken notice of that and been, been uh, we've had some nice conversations about it. And I think yeah. some of my coworkers are, are, nice about that too, to say, you know what, you need to, uh, to care yourself. But I think, you know, in terms of supporting people, what, what I've always done is, um, you know, I've tried to be, um, setting an example by working hard myself, obviously, and, and sort of letting people know that like, if they need to call me at midnight, I'm unfortunately going to pick up the phone and I'm going to be there for them. Um, and so not, <laughs> yeah. not great for my personal life, but great for my work um, is, is that I've been yeah. dedicated and I've been there to make people know that like, I'm going to back them. I think that makes people work harder and makes people feel more confident about what they're doing. In the past, I've been told by executives, look, you've got a line producer, put it on them. They need to figure it out. And I've never worked that way because line producers that come onto projects that I'm overseeing are freelance, right? They're, they're coming in, we're hiring them to do a job, they're doing the job. And then at the end of the day, they're going to leave. And like you said, when they leave, it's going to be in my lap. And if the job didn't go well, I'm going to be the one dealing with it. Um, so I have, you know, try to put things to line producers to say, okay, let me know your solution, but I'm never going to set someone up to fail. And I've, and I've been put in that situation in the past where someone doesn't put something in the budget and they just say, we'll figure it out. And it's like, you know, I don't want to ever do that to somebody because it puts them in a position where they're already sort of set up to have problems. So I'm very hands-on in the work I do. I think my personal life would be better if I was less hands-on. hands-on. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure of it. But I, but I also feel for the people that I'm hiring and I want yeah. them to succeed. I think that it helps people do really good work just knowing that I'm, you know, involved. Because um, I, because people tell me a lot, they've worked with other heads of productions and executives that just put it all on the line producer and say, good luck. Yeah. Well, and, and it's and also like, you know, the nuances of how Campfire wants things done. There's every company has a very specific way of doing things. And it's similar right. blueprints ish, but you're building different houses, right? And so right. I think having someone who's like, you know, no, no, we you may have done it this way over there. But this is actually how we do it here. And it can be something small and insignificant, but can add up to something big down the line and having someone who is super involved and, and kind of can speak to all of the nuances of that. And like you said, support a freelancer who's coming in who doesn't know the full story who hasn't been living and breathing right. with whatever the thing is. And I also think that, you know, we're all learning. I think that's important to say is that we're all learning. Like, obviously, I have the experiences that I've had, but there's tons of experiences I haven't had. There's, you know, all sorts of things that I've learned on every job. 
um, because no, like you said, it's it's a similar goal, but it's different blueprints, like you said, which is a, a good way to look at it. Because yeah. especially with commercials, I think one of the good going back to commercials, one of the great things about commercials for any director or producer is because they're short and because they're all so different, you're learning so many things. Like in my first few years doing commercials and music videos, I learned animation, I learned special effects, I learned visual effects, I learned yeah. comedy, I learned, um, you know, we we had to permit. Uh, for a Pergo commercial, I, I had to figure out getting an elephant on the Venice boardwalk to do a magic trick <laughs> on a s- stage built out of Pergo flooring. Oh my god! You know, <laughs> dealing with that. Crazy. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's like you know, you you come out of them learning so many different things. Yeah, but there's always learning, and and the bigger the bigger the project, it doesn't make it any easier. More money doesn't make it easier. It's sure it makes it more possible to hire people and have all the different resources. But generally, you're not going to have more money without a larger scope. That's right. So if you had a small scope and lots of money, sure, it'd be easier. But when the money goes up, the scope goes up. You know, you're always learning. So I learn from the people that I hire just as much as they might learn something from me. Um, and I think yeah. that that's really important too. So I always say to my teams, give us feedback too, give me feedback. Yeah. You know, I, I certainly try to be as collaborative as I can be because I, I don't have all yeah. the answers. I, I know what I know and I'm also looking to collaborate with people as well. I think that's so important. And I'm so grateful to you for saying that. I, I can speak for myself, you know, climbing in the industry, you sort of think that people who are in certain positions always have the answers or they you get to a certain place and it's like, oh my gosh, and you're sort of always the person like running on the treadmill to figure things out. But I think it's important to have the humility and the transparency to say like, no, we're, like you said, there's breadths of knowledge and experiences we come with, but there's so much that is going to have to be figured out because every project has unique challenges that you just could never foresee. It will always be the one thing you never prepared for. That's going to be the thing that blows up in your face. So much of this show, I think for me, is about reminding people that all of that stuff can get figured out. But the ultimate question is, who are you going to be? And how are you going to show up in those moments of challenges and difficulties in your life, in your career, within a team as you're growing? And so to have that you know, sort of place of we can all come together and be honest about like, actually, no, I don't know. I've never done this as opposed to this idea of like, fake it till you make it, which I think sends the wrong message. It's not pretend you know something you don't. I think the faking it is just saying, hey, I don't have the answer, but I'm going to figure it out until I make it. And be honest with the people around you that that's what's going on as opposed to pretending yes. like, you know, giving someone the confidence that, you know, and then everybody having that terrible realization that, oh, they didn't know and they actually didn't go find out. And now we're stuck here in a really terrible place when it could have just been an easy conversation, you know, and um, I think especially with producers, the, the image of like a producer is this person who's like. I don't know, got it all figured out or something and just always has the answer. And and it's not true. You know, it's like, we're just all humans trying to figure this thing out together. And, um, and yeah, so I just, I just think that that's a really wonderful thing for everybody listening to, to hear from someone who's like in a position like yours, because I, I think it's 100% true. Um, to that note, like, what do you think makes a good producer? And I, for, for, have not forgotten about the define what a producer does question. <laughs> I know. I, I was trying to skip over that one. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to, cause it's like, you know, it's a hard thing to answer. I think, I think everybody's answer is, is similar in the way that it's, it's so many different things. Um, so defining a producer, you know, I think the producer is the ultimate leader of a project. I think they're, um, 
uh, but they're also a supporter, you know, so the director is also a leader, a leader of the project, but in a different way. And I think, you know, the producer is really there to be the support system to the director and also to lead the project from the start to the finish. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people, um, especially crew I've spoken to are, um, unaware of how much goes into producing. And, um, you know, I always say like, I, I wish crew members could know how much goes into getting them a call time, you know? So when they say to me, like, it's six <laughs> o'clock, where's my call time? And they don't know that like all this stuff has happened in that last day of prep and we need another hour to get them their call time because of X, Y, and Z. They don't know, <laughs> you know, necessarily, some do, but many don't know, you know, what how much goes into getting to ready for the, for that shoot day. And then a lot of people think that production is, is the end all be all, but they don't realize the months, possibly years that went into getting to the point of production. And then the months, maybe years that follow after production. So production can actually be a very small part of a project. Um, especially a documentary that's, that's primarily, uh, created in editorial and in the long journey that, that a film, film or show takes, um, in, uh, in editorial. So, you know, I think, the producer's there to make the product happen. They're there to help put it into reality, support the creative, um, and make sure that it it happens and is delivered. And um, you know, ideally on time and on 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 the on budget. And um, you know, there's obviously a lot of different types of producers. And I think you know, I've I've always been more on the physical side. Um, you know, I've wanted to be more on the creative side, but I think my strengths are just heavily rooted in logistical. Um, so I, I end up supporting the creatives on the physical side. And I, and I enjoy that. I enjoy supporting creative people and, and helping them tell the stories. To me, that's what, what a great producer is. It's like doing whatever it takes to make a project happen. Mm -hmm. It's challenging, as, as many might have already said, it's challenging with the producer title because it, it can be quite misunderstood because of the different, the different types of producers that there are. There obviously are vanity producers and people that get credits because they brought somebody onto a project. And obviously that contribution is important, but it kind of takes away from that producer. You know, maybe you brought a celebrity or you brought financing, which can be obviously financing is huge, yeah. but it's important to clarify who that producer was that saw it from the beginning to the end and put all the pieces together. Right. And that's why I think it's great that the PGA has that PGA mark, because if you look at a film or a show and you see that PGA mark, you know, okay, this is that lead producer. Yeah. All the other producers obviously are important and, and contributed. Exactly. Ideally, everybody has some contribution to make. And yes, even the person who gets a vanity credit because they got a celebrity attached, like, yeah. well, yes, you couldn't have gotten the financing to get into production without all of these pieces. And that's all important. But I do think that there right. should be a way to delineate um, the hierarchy of what the producer titles mean. And hopefully that that'll happen as more, because I think, you know, in the history of how producers right. used to function within a project, it was like you had one or two and they did everything, right. you know? Right. And then somewhere along the way, we sort of compartmentalize like, okay, we're yes, going to have one yes. person to just do this. And one person's just going to do that, which is awesome because it created all these jobs for people who had specific strengths and then maybe have the full breadth of wanting to do the whole thing. But the downside that comes is that, you know, the producer credit, I think, just gets very diluted by being able to just throw it at anybody and their mother. And it is a little sort of heartbreaking for, you know, like the reason I started this show is because I, I spend most of my time explaining what I do as a producer to people within my own industry, <laughs> because it's very so much on every project, you know, right. and I and I get that. So right. hopefully through these conversations, there can be a little bit more 
clarity or understanding and compassion for yeah for the the struggles um and the realities you know i know that i found that from from listening to the other episodes of the podcast so i, I think you're doing oh, a great thanks. job with that thanks um but it's funny you say that because I, I i know if you if you look at my grandfather's movies bob roberts and you see the the credits just produced by Bob Roberts. There's no other. Yeah, just one person. And in film, the executives have always been the financial um, people. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, these are the executive producers they financed. Here's the producer, the person that put it together and and was day to day. Mm -hmm. And here's everybody else. And I think, um, you know, it it does get um, sort of diluted or confused when you have a lot of different um, titles. You know, and then in commercials, as I know um, other guests on the show have mentioned, it's different there as well because your producer that's working with the director is also the line producer. You don't typically have a producer and a line producer. Right. It's the same so person. that person's sort of <laughs> taking that on. But the creative is coming from the agency. So it's kind of a different dynamic than when you're doing um, yeah. a film or TV show. And then television is a whole other animal where it's yes. really a writer's totally medium. Different. So executive producers yes. are actually just writers, yes. not just, but they're writers. And typically they don't come from that physical side. They right. learn the creative side of producing and you still have the physical team. Your UPM right. is sort of like the queen or king of that of that experience from the, from what we do kind of level. Yeah. Yeah. The creatives are, t- are take executive producer credits on TV. So that confuses a lot of people when they're first learning the difference between TV and film. Yeah. It's just, you know, on film, executive producer would be financial most likely, whereas on TV, executive producer would be creative. Yeah, absolutely. But so switching gears to, so now you campfire so many years, special Emmy nominated second season, all of this cool stuff. And, you know, I I feel very fortunate that I got to work with you guys sort of early on in the first like 10 years of the company, because I I think you guys are up to some really incredible stuff. Thank you. Talk a little bit about that experience. And then just what you guys are up to now, like how COVID has, it's a lot of questions in one, but how COVID has, with all the projects you guys have going on, being sort of mostly like a doc company who's now branching out into some other type of material, like how 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 everything is going Yeah, in this crazy time. So the company, um, again, founded by Ross Tinnerstein, he comes from um, narrative primarily, and then uh, worked on uh, George and Sushi, got into documentary, made a, a, a great film called um, Silicon Cowboys uh, about the story of the compact computer, and then a movie about sleep paralysis called The Nightmare, and then kind of continued down the documentary path while also doing scripted. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of products in the genre space. If you haven't seen The Pact, you should absolutely see it. It's one of my favorite movies that he's done. It's just really scary. Nice. I, I can't see The Nightmare. I've heard it's really terrifying. So I don't know if I can handle it is, that one. It's pretty scary. But yeah, so um, we sort of started in the narrative space, moved into documentary. But when I joined, we were in production on a six-hour, six one-hour episode series called The Innocent Man, directed by Clay Tweel. Um, that's available on Netflix. It's a really great show. Which just came out. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, it's really great. So we've sort of shifted focus to primarily doing documentary, although we have done some scripted still. We're trying to do a few scripted products a year and then primarily documentary. Mm-hmm. And then I have the the, the uh, fortunate experience of producing um, a, uh, as you said, Emmy-nominated uh, scripted series for Netflix and Warner Brothers called Special. Um, first season was eight episodes. Second season, uh, it was in production halfway through once we uh, had to shut down due to COVID-19. 
um, in, in the great pandemic of 2020. Yes. But it was really an amazing experience. I had not shot season one. We shot in Austin, Texas. I had only been one time earlier that same year to go to South by to go see Sam's film, actually. Uh, Six oh my gosh. We uh, shot <laughs> season one in Austin. It was a great place to shoot. It's actually set in LA, but we shot it in Austin. It was just a, a more affordable place to shoot for the budget that we had. Um, locations are a lot more affordable than Los Angeles. Um, and things are just generally more reasonable um, outside of LA, which is a bummer because, you know, you want to shoot in LA um, because uh, it's right in our own backyard, but it can be very hard to shoot here. Season two, we are shooting in LA. Um, it's been a great experience. Um, season one was really a labor of love. Um, season two is a labor of love too. It's a hard show to produce for the budget, but mm. people really came together to tell this powerful story. Um, I definitely recommend it watching it if, if anybody here hasn't seen it special on Netflix. Yeah, I'll definitely link a trailer. We did have to shut down after shooting the first four episodes. We're hopefully coming back in the next couple of months to production. But, you know, the past few months for me have been really hard because I'm pretty much working every day trying to navigate keeping all of our 16 projects going in their various stages while being in the pandemic. So for me, it's a lot of, um, you know, uh, budgeting. It's a lot of legal. It's a lot of uh, risk analysis. It's a lot of protocols. It's been tricky to get things back together, but I'm I'm optimistic about it. And you know, we've we've worked really hard on on putting safe protocols together. So I think, like anyone else who's trying to shoot right now during this uh, pandemic, it's just it's really about mitigating that risk of exposure as much as possible and keeping the crew safe. Obviously, we want to come back to production, but not if it's going to be at risk for anyone that's involved. Um, but coming back to production on special has mm-hmm. been really hard because, you know, previously we had a crew of 100 people and it's, um, you know, hard, it's a lot harder to navigate getting that back up than it is to get 10 people together. Um, so, so it's been, it's been challenging is all I can say, <laughs> but, but we're, but we're getting there. I think if there's anybody who's up to the tasks, it's, it's people who've come up sort of the rungs of the ladder that you and I have come up, you know, where yeah, it's just, thank you. We're, so. we're thrifty. We are, we're thrifty, yeah. we're creative, we're logistical, we're problem solvers. Yeah. And it's going to take a while because a lot of these problems are unprecedented. You know, it's not yeah. like we can look to other models and templates and f- see what they did wrong, like not yet. So I think anybody right. who's out there trying to put their best foot forward, I know a few films that have gone into production that have successfully shot. Um, one of the producers, Bronwyn, who I had on the podcast, she was produced that movie that was all shot like over Zoom with these six like hot TV actors. I don't know if you saw in the trades. I don't think there's a name for it, but it wasn't about COVID at all, but it was a really cool, interesting approach to this. And what I loved about it is that it gave these six actors who are, you know, number one, number twos on their on their uh, call sheets on these big, big TV shows, they had to be all the department heads for themselves. They had to learn how to light themselves, how to mic themselves, how to do their own effects. Like they had to learn all of this stuff. And I, and I think that's so empowering that for them as artists, but now when they go back on a set, think about how much deeper appreciation they're going to have for, for these other positions that they probably overlooked, never had to think about because of course they're there to do one job and they're very specific and good about that job. So, so I think it's, there's like a lot of, I I think there will be a lot of great stuff coming out of this. And I, I hope like a more collaborative, compassionate industry, as we all understand you know, that we all do need each other to create this kind of art, you know, there's only so many movies you can shoot like remotely before it's like, all right, we need two people in a room like touching like at some point, (laughs) that's gonna get old, you know, we need to see somebody hug like, please. Um, 
Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think um, there's been uh, a lot of good to come out of it. And like you said, in terms of looking at what's necessary and looking at, um, you know, kind of looking more at like how we work, you know, even the idea of having shorter shoot days to help yes. people's immune systems be stronger. Like, yeah. shouldn't we have always done that? There's some <laughs> light in the darkness of just sort of a new look and perspective of how we do our jobs um, and finding new ways to do them. Yeah. You know, as we get to the end, I'd love to know, this is this is a question that I'd love for you to answer, considering where you are right now. It, obviously, it would change. But looking back on your career so far, what would you say you're the most proud of? Honestly, I'd say I'm, I'm the most proud of how far I've come. Yeah. If that's like a thing I can say, yeah. not a cop out. No, um, but I think, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that's what I'm most proud of. Because I, and I, I think I'm most proud of the risks that I've taken as well. And I think anybody who's starting out, like, you just have to be willing to take risks. And I think if you want a more stable career, don't choose this one. <laughs> and, and luckily for me, knock on wood, uh, it's been pretty stable. Um, but I also know that that could change at any point. You know, I think there's, yeah. there's no guarantees in any, in any job, but I think in this industry, especially there's a lot of movement. It's very transient. People are coming and going at all times, which is kind of another good thing. Like you can come and go, like some people take a break and they go do something else and they come back and it doesn't mean that you have to start from square one again, necessarily, depending on what you're doing. I'd say, I'd say risk taking, um, is not comfortable, Yeah, but I think you have to do it if you want to try new things. And I think you have to do it if you want to take a chance on yourself. Yeah. It's like if you bet on yourself and you stay true to where you want to be, I think that's always going to lead you to some good places. And I also think too, just to piggyback on what you're saying, a lot of people who come to me who I don't want to say they're young, they're in the beginning of their careers. To me, that's not like, you don't have to be 19. I get like 30 year olds coming to me being like, I want to do this. And it's like, look to the people that are creating the kinds of things you want to be doing. Who are those people? Where do they start? What is the dream of where you want your path to end up and work backwards from that, you know, because then you can start aligning yourself with the kinds of people that are already operating at that, at that level or at that wavelength. And you can hopefully get your foot in the door at the very bottom if need be, but just to get on that track. So if you know, you really want to be in like, you know, half hour comedies of this type, like, who are the people that are working in that space, like try to find an in into that track, you know, if you can get that specific early on. But but I think it's like being along for the ride and being resilient, being um, malleable, I think is very important too to your point. And so I, I think your answer to the question is is great. I think most people when they when they hear the word proud, they think it's specific to a project. And I, I don't intend it that way because I think there's things to be proud of of every project I'm sure you've worked on. But the bigger, deeper question is the impact that those projects have on you as a person and how it it shapes you, right? And it allows you to continue to show up as a producer better and better every time. <laughs> I think you nailed it. Not that there's anything to nail, but I think it was a great answer is what I mean. But the, the last thing I do want to touch upon, I know we're out of time. I do want to touch upon diversity because I think it's so it's so important now. Um, and it's always been important, but I think more now than ever, people are are paying attention to it and talking about it and, and it's raising awareness to it. So the one thing I wanted to mention for all the producers out there, especially the up and coming producers um, and the people who are in positions of power now is that um, producers are also crafting the team. Producers are finding the pieces and producers are putting together that team. We're hiring everyone. We're, you know, and as a head of production, I helped find crew. I helped find assistants um, to deep and, and all the way to DP, sometimes directors. Like, you know, we're, we're looking to, for all these positions on any, any project. And 
to create diversity, you have to be intentional about it. You know, a, a lot of times when I was coming up and, and in the recent past, I've crews just sort of come together how it's come together. It's been like, okay, so, so, and so, no, so, and so, okay, we'll get them on. And it's, it's sort of, um, you know, who, you know, type of thing when you're sort of putting crews together or people you've worked with before. But I think it's important when you're in a position of power to create opportunities for diversity to happen. Um, and I know a lot of studios are, are building databases now of diverse crew so that when you're looking for someone new, you can look in a diverse pool. And I think, um, you know, we all have a responsibility to to help make that happen and to create opportunities. So I just wanted to sort of mention that, really being intentional about it, because if you want to make change there, you have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the only way that it happens, right? Because the easy path is what people have been doing, and there's merit to that path. There is, yeah. There's a shorthand of like, yeah, you've been working with this person for X amount of years, of course. Yeah. Right now, I think we're in that transition of there may be a little bit more stumbling into finding this new normal where yeah. we all have a Rolodex of more people from diverse backgrounds that we can call upon. I think it's just when you're looking to fill a new position, make sure you're considering a diverse array of resumes. I think that's the important. That's it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time for the second time. Thank you for having me. Always good to see you. You too. And thank you for sharing a little bit with me and the listeners. <laughs> And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. And I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>